1: Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Visit the website lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. For the last fifteen years, he's been on our show on Monday to talk about current global events, including what's going on in China and other places in the world, uh, Russia, uh, France, Haiti. It's uh, just a lot going on. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He's the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll talk about black, blind, and brilliant great musicians who overcame the odds. We'll also uh, visit with Linda. My wife Linda will be talking about uh, her view of uh, what's happening on the Paradise Coast. It is February the 1st, can you believe it? And on this day in 1790, in the Royal Exchange Building on New York City's Broad Street, the Supreme Court of the United States, States met for the very first time with Chief Justice John Jay of New York presiding. The U.S. Supreme Court was established by Article Three of the U.S. Constitution, which took effect in March of 1789. The Constitution granted the Supreme Court ultimate jurisdiction over all laws, especially those in which constitutionality was at issue. The court also designated, uh, was designated to rule on cases concerning treaties, of the United States, Foreign Diplomats, Admiralty Practice, and Maritime Jurisdiction. In September 1789, the Jur- Judiciary Act was passed, implementing Article Three by providing for six justices who would serve on the court for life. The same day, President George Washington appointed John Jay to the preside as Chief Justice, John Rutledge of South Carolina, John William Cushing of Massachusetts, John Blair of Virginia, Robert Harrison of Maryland, and James Wilson of Pennsylvania to serve as associate justices. Two days later, all six appointments were confirmed by the U.S. Senate. A lot different process then than now, huh? The Supreme Court later grew into arguably the most powerful judiciary body in the world in terms of its central place in the United States political order. In times of constitutional crisis, for better or worse, it's always played a definitive role in resolving the great issues of our time. And right now, they've formed a commission, Supreme Court commission, to review how many justices, well, they say it's just to review the process, but uh, ultimately, it'll be how many justices should serve on the Supreme Court. Wouldn't surprise me to see this administration attempt to pack the court. Well, the uh, Florida Department of Health reported 127 new cases of COVID-19 on Friday, didn't see anything on Saturday, but on Sunday, reported an additional 87 cases, number of cases is going down. A uh, 81-year-old man had uh, contact with somebody known to be, have positive case. And it was counted on January the 21st. So that's uh, remember. There's a difference between with die- dying because of COVID-19 and with COVID-19. Seven-day moving average is 131 cases. So you can see these two days are going to bring the number of cases average down about two percent less than there was on December the th- 15th. So the number of cases. On average, is going down. Friday, there were 79 COVID patients in Collier County Hospital. I recall having up to over 110 ca- cases in Collier house- hospitals. So the number is going down. We'll find out from Mark Schulman what's going on in the rest of the globe. Florida Department of Health Friday announced a new statewide pre-registration system to schedule COVID-19 vaccine appointments for, for individuals 65 and over. Uh, The new system, which can be accessed by visiting myvaccine.fl.gov, that's myvaccine.fl.gov, allows individuals to pre-register for vaccine appointments and receive notification when appointments are available in the area. Uh, Vaccine supply remains limited and appointments may not be available for several weeks in some counties. Uh, On Thursday's broadcast of Fox News primetime, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis stated that Florida had focused on protecting the state's elderly population rather than mass shutdowns and said, I barred hospitals from discharging COVID patients back to nursing homes. That was uh, able to save a lot of lives on the front end, he said. I think we've done a couple of things. One, we focused protecting elderly people rather than trying to shut the entire society down. So at the front end of the pandemic, I barred hospitals from discharging COVID patients Back into nursing homes, and that was able to save a lot of lives on the front end. And now, here on hopefully the back end of the pandemic, our approach in vaccination is putting seniors first. So, if you're calling to get a shot, I talked to a friend. He said, Hey, I just got my shot today. He said that with a great deal of pride. I'm in no hurry, quite frankly. I don't know about you, but uh, remember if you're calling the number, It's not because the system's broken, it's because the supply way under meets the demand. The demand is much higher than the supply of flu shots. It'll take several weeks, perhaps for us to get the flu shots if we want them. The number of flu cases in the United States, I should say virus shots, the number of flu cases in the United States is on an all-time low this flu season. During the second week in January, 23 people tested for the flu in the United States, tested positive. More than 14,600 tested positive for flu in the same time last year, before the coronavirus pandemic took hold. The CDC in August said that only 6% of all deaths in the United States classified as coronavirus deaths actually died from China coronavirus exclusive, exclusively. I tell you, something's up. Uh, way underreporting flu cases. Flu cases have been lumped together with influenza, with uh, virus, and with uh, pneumonia. What's going well, why do they want to do that? I don't understand. But something's up. Well, the Biden administration is struggling mightily to deliver on its promise to get a handle on COVID-19 pandemic and may have even lost track of as many as twenty million vaccine doses that were sent to the states. The report notes that Biden officials are learning that a seamless, perfect pandemic response is easier to promise than to deliver and notes that the administration has largely jettisoned its ballyhooed coronavirus response plan as they discover the challenges that may face getting the pandemic under control may have even been more serious than anticipated. One administration official was even quoted as saying it's like the Mike Mike, uh, Tyson quote, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. (laughs) The report also indicates that the Biden administration cannot locate 20 million doses, as I said. That's a crucial supply. Biden administration uh, blamed the problem on the Trump administration rather its own incompetence. Hmm. The report also notes the administration officials have discovered that the available stockpile of vaccine is mostly empty and they're struggling to find ways to boost production in order to meet the administration's initial goal of 100 million vaccination doses in the first 100 days. You know what? Based on everything I'm reading and seeing, I prefer the plan Biden claimed Trump didn't have to the plan Biden is trying to execute. This would not have happened had it been Trump under Trump's, uh, uh, watch. Back in June, you may recall a heated exchange between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci on the opening schools. Senator cited the overwhelming evidence that schools should be opened. Fauci hemmed and hawed and said that opening schools would be the default position, but they should close when there is a high community transmission, uh, This week, the CDC published a study finding nearly zero COVID in schools, even with extremely high community transmission, up to 40% countywide positivity. Yesterday, Fauci admitted he was wrong and schools should be open. I would back the CDC recommendations because it is really based on data. We didn't fully appreciate this early on, but the fact is it's less likely for a child to get infected in a school setting than if they were just in the community. How about that, folks? Uh, He went on to say, we need to try and get the children back to school. Well, we're so fortunate here in Collier County and in Florida, uh, the school commissioner insisted and sent a mandate that all schools must open brick-and-mortar schools. Right now, we've got 80% of our kids in Collier County school going to school, and there are several cases, but there's over 40,000 students and over 50 schools, 57 schools, so the average is about three or four cases per school, and that includes the teachers. So interesting. I wonder if he's gonna uh, if Fauci's gonna apologize to Dr. Rand Paul. We haven't heard anything about that yet. Well, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control issued a new order on Friday requiring people to wear masks while traveling on conveyances and at transportation hubs. The order covers all persons who are traveling on public conveyances, buses, trains, taxis, rideshare vehicles, planes of any kind of boat, and persons traveling out within the United States. It also includes people working at the trans- termination, uh, transportation terminals or working at its operator conveyances. So here we go. Making decisions for us. We can make our own decisions. Thank you, CDC. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples, longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call and visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, visit lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Shulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: LuluBees.com and stop by LuluBees Diner open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. LuluBees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by LuluBees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show, providing you news and commentary rooted in commitment to liberty, individual personal responsibility, private, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. As I mentioned before the break, he's been on the show for about 15 years, giving us commentary on global events. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob.
1: Thank you, Mark. So, talking about current global events, we've got to start with COVID and what's happening. We're seeing the numbers go down here in Collier County. What's happening globally?
2: Okay, so all over the United States, the numbers are clearly going down. It's clearly a result of the fact that they went way up um, as a result of uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving and people who were traveling and all of that. So we saw a big spike in the four weeks after Christmas. Um, Now that wave is is passing and we're going back down to a lower number. Um, The big concern, and the big concern all over the world right now, are the mutations. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and so in Britain, they're having a really hard time because the British mutation has taken over almost all of all of Great Britain. And so the the British mutation seems to be somewhere between forty and sixty percent more contagious, and mm. seems to be thirty to fifty percent more deadly,
1: lethal. huh? So wow. that's a great
2: concern. Yeah, um, the South African mutation also is problematic. I'm here in Israel, and Israel we, the, the British mutation has taken. Over completely, and between eighty and ninety percent of the cases now are the British mutation which has created this very strange situation where eighty um, percent of the people above sixty years or older have already received both doses of the vaccine so theoretically they're uh, they're you know they're they're safe on the other hand the drop in in seriously ill and other cases is number of cases has not dropped significantly, and the seriously ill has dropped only slightly. Mm. One of the problems seems to be that the, um, that the mutations seem to be attacking younger people um, as well, and so younger people are getting sick, and in the case in Israel, there have been a fair number of uh, pregnant women, mm. who are obviously by, by their nature relatively young, and who've gotten uh, desperately ill. Uh, they've had a had cesarean births of their kids uh babies you know, weeks and weeks early, and I think there are about seventeen of them in the hospitals now for in, in intensive care uh so that's a concern too, because the older people have all been vaccinated mostly, but the younger people much less so both because you know the the system in Israel was other than the hospital workers and a certain small percentage of the army and and the police. And uh, the, the vaccination campaign went by age,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so it's now down to 35 and older. Um, and I think now we've added teachers also. Um, but um, are any of have the people not that been got as good as people uh, have been hoping for?
1: Yeah, are any of the people so, that be, were vaccinated have they? Uh, in other words, this is this working on the mutations? This vaccine.
2: Okay, so it seems to. I mean, the key factor seems to be that the people who've gotten the vaccine have none of them have died or gotten. You know, very, very sick, mm-hmm. and so I guess that's ultimately the question here. The vaccine seems—I mean, they never said that the vaccine would not transmit the disease. They just said people would not get very sick from the disease after the vaccine, and that does seem to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're only going to know in a couple—you know—in a matter of weeks as, as statistics come out. A high enough percentage of Israelis have now been vaccinated that it's a—it's a good lab to find out. You know what are all the effects, what are the options, and one of the things Israel did is it basically closed its border. The airport has been closed. So it's not to allow new variation variants to come in. Mm. There's now a Los Angeles variant, there's a Brazilian variant, and um, doctors are very worried about all these different variants. Oh,
1: well, for sure. and I, I, Fortunately, I guess there is one in Los Angeles, but uh, we're not seeing anything happening here in the United States. Uh, well,
2: the, the um, South African vi- variant was found in... North Carolina, and the British have been found in a couple of places. Wow. So, and, you know, it happened really quickly in Israel. It went from no cases of the British to taking over completely in a matter of three weeks.
1: Interesting. Hey, you know, there's a uh, a release by the CDC saying that now this hydroxychloroquine is a good therapeutic for the early stages of uh, coronavirus, so that's good news that people have another way to perhaps fight it on the early stages uh, if, in fact, they get infected.
2: Yeah, uh, but you know, we still we've done much better in terms of generally fighting it. The key, of course, is a not to make sure your hospitals don't get over you know yeah. too too crowded. Look, we have a we have an overall problem all over the world right now. Our medical staff have been fighting this now for a year, right, stop.
1: It's got to be exhausting.
2: This is a very difficult thing to fight because they have to be suited up. It's not like taking care of a normal patient it requires much more effort, and people have been you know. Are doing fine one minute, then two minutes later they suddenly make a turn for the worse. So it requires a a lot of attention, and we have a a worldwide exhaustion amongst the medical staff all over the world. Yeah, and that's that's a challenge also.
1: So interesting. Our our hospitals right now, quite frankly, I think, could use some more business. Uh, they're okay. about eighty <laughs> percent full right now, and I'm not talking about just
2: you know, call, call California. they will send you oh, the numbers, numbers are down in California. <laughs> well, too. I mean,
1: we're, I'm, we're, we're I'm grateful. I'm grateful for people. our situation, but I, I think a lot of people are avoiding medical uh, things that they need be, because of their concern for the spread of the coronavirus. Things, no, like,
2: absolutely, certainly. Listen, I held off getting my annual blood test until I was t- you know two weeks and and a, and a week after I got the second vaccine. I mean, yeah. When, a long time later, but I probably delayed it about a month. Yeah, yeah, because um, I didn't want to go into a building full of, uh, you know, where they do this pull, you know, pull your
1: blood because who knows what's going to be in there. Exactly. So let's uh, we'll talk about some current global events. And right now, the Burmese election fraud is going on. R is uh, having a lot of. Uh, right,
2: we don't have. A, okay, so so we have. There was no fraud, but the military has learned a lesson. We can they can just call fraud, and they um, seize power. They arrested all of they arrested the government. They put everybody under house arrest or regular jail, and you know everyone. In the, even they had lost the election, but based on absolutely nothing, they claimed election fraud. Even though they're international observers and everybody said it was a free and fair election.
1: Wow, but, interesting. You know, interesting.
2: It's, it's a good way of maintaining power right now. So, you know, they had the guns.
1: Who won? And, uh, who? Who? who uh, hmm? Obviously, the military was displaced. Is that what happened? By well the they were losing
2: they lost more power. There was has been a uh, a a sharing agreement. Don't forget military was a military dictatorship for 40 years. Right. And the opposition slowly um made progress and starting from about 10 years ago they started having a power sharing agreement and they started having free elections but the last elections the military did worse than they had done previously which is to be expected. Um and they don't didn't like that so they Claimed election fraud, and they seized power right now, and we're back to square one again with
1: the country. That's how quickly it um, can happen. It's a long
2: history of the military ruling Myanmar or Burma, whichever you want to use, whichever word you want to use. Right. Um, but it's sad because progress had been made. Let's put it that way.
1: Absolutely. Well, let's pick up on some other global events. So, Mark, can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website NADC. Kids.com. You'll be glad you did.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best you can find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific, robust multimedia website. It's called historycentral.com. Good for kids of all ages, including you and I. Mark, thank you again for, vis- uh, for being with us. My pleasure. So uh, let's uh, move our discussion to Russia and what's going on with the, the uh, rioting and dissent because of the... Uh, uh, well, we'll call it rioting.
2: Big-scale demonstrations.
1: Okay, um, big-scale demonstrations. You know, Putin
2: is trying to hold on to his power against any sort of opposition. He's arresting as many demonstrators as he can. Uh, he's in trouble because his deal basically was that the Russian people will allow him to do what he wants as long as the economic situation continued to get better. But the economic situation has not been getting better. It's been getting worse in the last two or three years. And so there's a sort of Putin fatigue. And plus, of course, people are demonstrating for freedoms and free elections and all the things that Putin won't allow. Mm. Um, And so large-scale demonstrations, crackdown, arresting a lot of the demonstrators. And the American government is vigorously at finally uh, at least uh, making oral statements and then and uh, decrying the actions of the Kremlin against the demonstrators, and also decrying the arrest of uh, Novoy to begin with. Um, so there's a vigorous interaction um, when the United States does it. Other countries in Europe have also been vocal for the first time in a long time. So I don't know if it'll make any difference, obviously, and yeah. it'll ultimately determine by what goes on in Russia. But Putin is going to try to maintain power at the end of a gun, as much as he can.
1: Yeah, so I've forgotten the name of the dissident who was poisoned and went off to... Uh,
2: never, uh, Nevi.
1: And yeah, he, and uh, he comes back. Nevin I think he's demonstrated tremendous courage, and I guess he, he would be the candidate that's trying to overthrow it, or to win the election against Putin at this point. But uh, a shout-out to him for his, his courage.
2: No, absolute courage. Absolute, absolute courage. She and his wife, his wife was arrested but released yesterday. She was fined. I don't know how much the fine was, but she was fined for participating in an illegal demonstration. Yeah. It was really interesting, you know. The, you talk about um, we're back to the days of um, of communist uh, Soviet Union. There's a news media. The news media announced that 300 there were 300 demonstrators yesterday against against Putin, but 1,200 of them were arrested. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the news here in the United States. <laughs>
2: well, it's, just, it's just a little bit beyond that. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay.
1: So, uh, well, in any event, uh, we'll watch that. Uh, let's let's move to China, which is much more concerning, quite frankly.
2: Well, China again keeps on taking actions against the um, Taiwan. Incur- they've been repeated incursions into Taiwanese airspace. The U.S. sent a battle group by off the straits of, uh, of um South China Sea, by the Straits of Taiwan for the first time in many years um, you know it's it's not clear what china what China's end game is. They succeeded in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. um and I guess their view is, well, you know we succeed in Hong Kong, maybe we can take the next step and succeed in Taiwan. The only difference is Taiwan has its own military has a completely separate government and the people living in Taiwan want nothing to do with communist China. And it's interesting when you think about it because I'm used communist, but it really isn't communist China, but uh, dictatorship China. But if China had continued along its road to democratization and had become a full democracy, my guess is that Taiwanese people would have been perfectly happy to reintegrate into China. Mm-hmm. But because they went the other way, is the opposite effect? Um, they will fight for their freedom because they don't want to be. They don't want their freedoms taken away from them.
1: Well, and and they they continue to encroach. What what's your view of China? Has uh, do you think China has changed its behavior since uh, Biden has taken uh, taken the presidential administration? No,
2: not at all. I mean, if anything, I mean Biden. I mean, first of all, Biden administration is ten days old, so it's not. You know, it's very hard.
1: To, right. Right.
2: To, to see anything, but no, everything they've done, they've started before they've started beforehand. This wasn't something that happened in the last 10 days.
1: All right, well, um, nevertheless, very... So if anything, the
2: US, the U.S. response has been more vigorous under Biden so far, but uh, you can't judge anything yet. There's, there's very little, when it comes to foreign affairs, you can judge, you know, the Biden administration. The only, thing, the only difference between the Biden administration and the Trump administration to date is from what I can see is the, um, the um, condemnation of Russian actions that yeah. didn't almost did not take place in the Trump administration at all. In this case, it's come both from President Biden and, of course, the spokesman and Secretary of State Blinken. So um, that's the only difference so far. But again, it's ten days in, let's well, we'll talk about it in two months. Uh, right,
1: fair enough. And it, I would say though it's not a foreign affair, quite frankly, but the, the opening the border and. Uh, not completing the wall and uh the whole uh, point the Haitian That's Emirates. a whole other
2: story we can discuss, etc. The border hasn't been opened yet.
1: Yeah. That's the different Okay. Let's and uh because of court rulings, frankly, which is uh, a good No, thing.
2: actually the court rulings were that were on de- deportation, not on opening the border. Yeah. Uh the court rulings had nothing to do with opening the border. The um Biden administration wants to reopen parts of the border but is also concerned with COVID and is trying to figure out some yeah. method up that's my analogy, again to uh, is trying to find the methodology of balancing the two, but right now all the borders of the United States remain closed. So it's let's, do
1: let's, m- let's move to uh, something that's happening, a phenomenon of, in, in trading right now, the driving up the price of what I consider to be pretty worthless stocks up to, uh, and, and driving hedge funds uh, out of business, about, causing causing them to lose billions of dollars. I wonder if you'd uh, want to comment at all on what's happening right now.
2: Yeah, overall, look, well, there's a problem in the U.S. financial markets and that over the last 10, 15 years it's become more gambling than just, you know, fundamentals. You have all these hedge funds that that make a lot of money by differentiating between the price at one point and the price at the other point or shorting a stock. Now, shorting a stock, basically bets that the stock will go down and some of them have enough money that they can force the price down and then... Make money because they've they shorted it and buy it back and make make money just because of the size of some of these hedge funds. Right. And so now you had on the other side of it a bunch of um, young people, uh, whoever you wanted to define them as, is who decided we're going to show we're going to you know hoist them on their own petar, I think as they say. And we're going to uh, a couple of stocks that they've shorted. We're going to make them go up. And of course, if the stock goes up, hedge funds lose a lot of money because they bet the stock should go down. So I guess one of the questions I think we have to ask ourselves is, what sort of new financial regulations do we we or do we not need? Um, You know, the stock market is a beautiful thing. Theoretically, supposed to be the fact that you and I buy shares in a particular company. The shares that we buy are worth something relative to the value of the company. The value of the company is defined by... Sales, its profitability, its assets—all sorts of ways. But basically, its share price is supposed to be connected in some direct way to the to how well the company is doing. Right. And what's happened in the last twenty years is we've had all these games played at Wall Street, whether it's shorts and longs and all the other sort of financial maneuvers that have taken place that have that have moved the financial markets away from the fundamentals of, is this company making money or losing money? Is this company growing or is it getting smaller? And, um, you know, I think we need to, to re-look at that in, in those sense. And, you know, the stock market should be should be related to fundamentals and not a not a Las Vegas casino.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, to, your, to your point, and, the average holding period for a stock used to be years, seven, eight years. Right, uh, right now, it's sometimes, in some cases, it might be a few days or a few months minutes yeah so I mean the uh, number one you're absolutely right it's become a form of gambling as opposed to investment unfortunately uh, and to, to the other point here is these hedge funds have so much power financially and what's interesting about this movement about these quote-unquote young people that you're referring to on reddit I guess some subgroup of reddit they're uh, actually they're creating a strategy not necessarily to make a profit although that's involved it's to drive these hedge funds out of business, which is so interesting right. to me.
2: Well, listen. I mean, one can argue. Uh, you know, if you look at if you look back at all of the innovations in the financial markets, so some of the you know um, uh, big companies that are involved in mergers and acquisitions, well, they make sense. They're making the market more efficient. They're they're raising money for companies. They're allowing companies to go public. All those sort of things. Yeah. And some things hedge funds do, or are okay, but a lot of other hedge funds do have no positive impact on the um, on the, on the real businesses and have a negative impact, though, overall. I mean, look, I think the figure that I heard is that um, at this point, the financial industries make about 17% of the profit in the whole U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. It used to be like 3 or 4% mm-hmm. because 17% is basically a tax on everybody if you look at it a different way.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I think and, the market, market trading and these techniques are actually – it's kind of like dynamite. You can use it for good or for evil, you know, and uh, actually – Right, but
2: you have to figure out the ways of – you know, you don't want to put too much regulation on one hand because regula- over-regulation, will both agree, is bad. Right. But on the other hand, you don't want people to misuse the markets. I mean, maybe one solution would be to put, uh, you know, a, a small tax on a transaction, and therefore, if you make 20 transactions in a day, it starts becoming serious. On the other hand, if you and I invest in a stock and we're paying, I don't know, five dollars taxes for a twenty-year investment, it becomes you know irrelevant.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Mark, I, I guess uh, it, it, the, the problem is we have regulations in place that are not being enforced. I would suggest that these people who are colluding in order to drive up the price of the stock that's a that's a, a crime called front running and uh, <laughs> almost never enforced. The other thing is that uh, short sale uh, sales you're supposed to be able to borrow. A stock from an owner, and they're in order to sell the stock, you can't. And of, course, of course, right now, brokerage firms don't do that. They don't. They don't. They don't borrow stocks from individual accounts in order to make that happen. So they're totally a, a, a no, uh, avoiding the law. Right.
2: Absolutely. Uh, but again, it's it, the enforcement of the law is also very difficult. You need. You need to, to give more money for the enforcement agencies. Also, yeah. you know, these are all. Difficult choices, but what we have now is probably... Let me put it this way. I wouldn't want to go into any specific area. I mean, I mean we could, but I'm not a big enough an expert. But I can say that if 17% of the profits of the whole economy is taking place in the financial sector, there's a problem.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we'll end it on that, Mark. I just genuinely appreciate... Uh, Your commentary here, again, and I just refer to your website, historycentral.com. I hope you'll check it out. Mark, Jamie, we appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. Larry is the uh, president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Provence restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice of the popular Eden Bar the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239, Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Gulfshire Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot, state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett-Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions visit golfshoreplayhouse.org that's golfshoreplayhouse.org we'll see you at the show
0: welcome back to the bob harton show and now here's your host bob harton
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Hey, I want to do a little shout-out to Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social network introduced to me by a friend. And you can download the app by going to choicesocial.us website. Choicesocial.us website. It's really uh, pretty terrific. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with my wife, Linda, talking about uh, greetings from paradise. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Larry Reed. He is the president of... Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Hey, my pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Uh, Always
1: a pleasure, Larry. And tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education.
3: Okay, we work with young people of high school and college age, and our mission is to educate and inspire them on ideas of individual liberty, responsibility, free markets, limited government, and personal character, and we do that through our website, which is FEE, org. Uh, many online videos and courses, and also uh, through the in-person engagements that we do all over the world.
1: Terrific organization. If there's a young person in your life, make sure they know about FEE.org, FEE.org. It's a terrific organization. So, Larry, you write columns. Many times you write columns about people that achieve things through uh, in life with extraordinary Uh, you know, disabilities or hamper things that hamper their progress or could hamper their progress. Your latest is terrific. It's called Black, Blind, and Brilliant, Ten Musicians Who Overcame the Odds. Maybe you can tell us about it.
3: Okay. Yeah, these are remarkable uh, individuals. They're all black, they're all blind, and they were all brilliant, and they're all Americans. And they had incredible mu- musical talent. Uh, I think in many cases, if not all, uh, the fact that they were blind actually accentuated other senses that they had and certainly gave them additional incentive to work hard in other ways and overcome their handicap. And some of the names uh, that I mention in the article include uh, big names that everybody knows, like Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder and mm-hmm. Arizona Drains, Marcus Roberts. But I focused in on 10 uh, because, first of all, I had to find some way to limit the number. But secondly, it became apparent the more research I did that there were quite a number of these uh, people who um, used the term uh, blind in their names. And so I thought, well, let's just focus on those who did that. And I came up with 10. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
1: a remarkable. I'd I like to just play uh, a few bars of one Blind Tom Wiggins. This guy was born as a slave, and at an early age, you know, he understood it, he had tremendous talents. And we'll just show you. Larry included these clips in this column, which I encourage you to, to visit yourself, unless it's so extraordinary. Here's a Blind Tom Wiggins. He was born in 1849 and died in 1908, born as a slave. <laughs>
4: Tom was born a slave in Georgia, and it was discovered at an early age that he had this amazing kind of gift for sound, he had this encyclopedic memory, and he could echo any sound he heard. It was soon discovered he had this extraordinary musical gift. And by the time he was five, he was on stage performing around the south. And his musical gifts just flourished. So by the time he was about 15 or 16, he was a prodigy. He was a remarkable pianist.
1: Extraordinary story here of, uh, again, blind Tom Wiggins, uh, born in 1849. Uh, there's another one, uh, Larry, that I'd like to also highlight uh, his name. See, I'll scroll down here. i going to find him is uh, uh, the Blind Boys of Alabama. I thought this was terrific. They actually still perform. Maybe you can make a few comments about them.
3: Okay. This was a group that was formed in 1939. It featured many different uh, black individuals over the years still performing. Uh, five or six at a time typically uh, composed the the group. And since the founding more than 80 years ago, almost all of them have been either blind or partially so. Uh, but they've made it plain time and again that their disability doesn't have to be a handicap. It's, uh, w- one of them pointed out that it's not about what you can't do, it's about what you can do. And they do some fantastic uh, gospel singing, Blind Boys of Alabama.
1: Yeah, here we go. I'm too
3: close.
1: And I'll just point out that again, this group started in 1939, and they still—I'm sure there's some have come and gone over the course of their uh, uh, the, this group's existence. But uh, nevertheless, just so inspiring because again, back to your point, Larry—they're all blind or at least partially blind.
3: Yeah, that's right, and they've added so much to the music and culture of this country. So much so, in fact, that wherever you are on the planet, when you think of things like the blues the gospel music, uh, bluegrass, or jazz, or ragtime, you think of America, and largely because of people uh, such as those I highlighted in my column.
1: Yeah, it's so extraordinary, this research that you did, and of course you you think about Stevie Wonder and some of the others that are stars to Ray Charles and uh, what they were able to accomplish and achieve, but uh, these these individuals, of course, uh, not only uh, performed, but in many cases with great discrimination, be- of course, one of them being born as a slave.
3: That's right. They had to overcome their handicap and, and in most cases, uh, discrimination against them. And, as you pointed out, blind Tom Wiggins was actually a slave.
1: Yeah, an amazing <laughs> thing. And, of course, unfortunately, he wasn't able to profit personally from uh, his performances, but his, his owner, who, I, as I recall, was a general, actually did. Yes. Uh, so, amazing story. Larry, I just genuinely appreciate your pulling this together for us. It's a great read. I encourage our listeners to take a little bit of time and go to fee.org, F-E-E.org. Read the column, Black, Blind, and Brilliant, Ten Musicians Who Overcame the Odds. It's great uh, reading. It also is great uh, perspective historically on the development of music here in the United States. Larry, genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. Well, coming up, we're going to be visiting with my lovely wife, Linda. We'll be talking about current global events and anything happening here on the Paradise Coast. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006 and I now have full range of motion in both knees and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too.
0: Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. and providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us my lovely wife, Linda. She's probably much more well-informed in everything that's going on than I am, and I just genuinely appreciate taking time. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning to you. Are you feeling like I'm feeling after we, we splurged last night, went out to dinner, and had... Uh, onion rings <laughs>
4: wait 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 it's it was more than that yeah we just we just decided to blow it big time yeah
1: we did we're usually pretty disciplined on our eating habits so uh
4: vegan is not the idea of yeah. of um loading up on the most grease you can possibly so we
1: justified up. it because onions are a vegetable <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow i felt like oh, we I was, had a salad yes yeah, so we too. had a salad i felt like i was sloshing around with grease the whole night but anyhow uh, we'll, we'll, recovery will be slow and, and punishing but we will recover from this
4: i don't want to look at another onion ring again <laughs> but they were good they were great they oh were, my goodness oh, and that sauce abso- oh.
1: absolutely so uh, i'd like your perspective on what's happening with uh, this administration i you know one thing that just puzzles me President Trump was the first U.S. president in modern history to oversee a decline in heroin deaths. And what does uh, Biden do with one of his first, one of his 40, executive orders as he t- decides to get rid of this campaign? He promised throughout the campaign he was going to work to combat the opioid uh, epidemic. However, his initial actions don't show that because he got rid of the or- order to do that.
4: Well, he's, you know, it, just just to back up a little bit, I'm, when Trump first took office, he was doing... Um, he was doing everything he could as quickly as he could to throw out whatever Obama did too. So, so that being said, mm-hmm. everything that Trump did was to make the people better off, right. to make citizens better off, right. and and to to get people off of, of drugs and um, make it so illegal immigration um, was stopped. Right. Uh, uh, to make to make Obamacare to throw out the individual mandate. So so. Uh, Obamacare could be more acceptable to people. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is doing at warp speed everything he possibly can to, to not only screw over the American people, but, but to make their lives more difficult, more expensive, and more painful.
1: Well, we we'll would see the price of oil go up, and uh, as a consequence, higher gasoline prices as a result of the stop in the pipeline. Uh, we were energy independent under uh Really, we never we didn't buy any barrels of oil last year from the Saudi Arabia, and now of course that's going to change because of, uh, because of his decisions about uh, uh, wanting to have <laughs> wanting to have uh, this uh, alternative energy opportunity here for the United States that's just totally nuts. First of all, carbon based fuels, carbon dioxide is plant food, and uh, I don't know. Where they got the idea that carbon dioxide was bad for us? But he's joined the Paris Accord. He's ended up uh, tr- trying to produce alternative energy sources. It's a mess.
4: Well, meanwhile, it's it's so it's so suspicious. All these things that are going on, and he signed more executive orders by far mm-hmm. than any president in history. And guess what? Mm. He's hiding in the White House. Nobody sees him. He comes out from the dark signs these executive orders, goes back in the dark. It's the most squirrely thing I've ever seen. And
1: you'd expect a president in his early going, especially, especially the first 100 days, to stand up, make an explanation of the country. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to help you. This is how we're going to make this country great. I, I, even when I say it, I realize he's, he's not making America great with anything that he's doing. Hey, and by the way, have you noticed that uh, now that Trump is gone, it seems like the left doesn't have anything to talk about.
4: Well, CNN is bored. They're they're all bored, and and, and they just well they're, they're still trying to to coin a word, trump up the yep. this uh, um, impeachment thing that's coming up. They have nothing to go on. Meanwhile, so many other um, so much other information is coming out about that event on January sixth, where where it was all planned days before.
1: Right, and not by uh, Trump supporters no, either. It's no. it's so interesting indeed. And, and now, uh, and,
4: oh, by the way, have you seen Nancy Pelosi li- lately? I mean, these people are just there there's such a mystery of things going on right now. It's hard to grasp anything that's going on because it, none of it makes
1: sense. And you're talking about the National Guard being in Washington yeah, D.C. Yeah, the National
4: Guard, um, all the all the barbed wire around the Capitol, which they say is going to be permanent. What's up with that?
1: Well, yeah, well, um, it looks like the. <laughs> If, if that's the way, it looks like a prison. So it looks like they're keeping Biden as a prisoner in there. To me, it's it is very strange, Lyndon. The, the leadership is there's a vacuum right now. President Trump was a great leader. You may not like him, you may not like uh, what he stood stood for, but he just I, he you always knew where he stood, and he made it. He made forceful uh, proclamations about it,
4: and he was out talking to the press like every single day about it. He was he was there with the press. He was the most transparent president. In history, right, and now now Biden is hiding under the bed after he signs this, all this, um, these executive orders, and they put out this Jen Psaki, who is maybe the worst press secretary ever. Right, she doesn't know. She, all her, all of her sentences start with um and end with um. Yeah. and I'll circle back to you about that because we don't have a stand on it. Yeah, again. yeah,
1: exactly. So uh, any thoughts about, uh, right now, it looks like uh, there's going to be an impeachment trial. It already looks like we know that uh, he's uh, President Trump is going to get, uh, quote, unquote, uh, acquitted. Uh, some of his lawyers, I think five of his lawyers quit because uh, they didn't want to uh, uh, employ the strategy that President Trump wanted. What are your thoughts?
4: My thoughts are that, what I've always thought is Trump is like twenty steps ahead of everybody, mm-hmm. and um, it's interesting. Even though I've been I've been permanently suspended from Twitter now, for the <laughs> second time. Um, I'm on Telegram now, and I'm getting a lot of my news sources from that. And I don't, if you remember, I, when I was on Twitter, I always watched uh, President Trump's um, social media person Dan Scovino, post
2: mm-hmm.
4: post his little memes or his videos or whatever. And now I'm getting some of them on Telegram too. And he posted a very interesting one this mm. morning. Dan Scavino posted a little cartoon character of of Donald Trump. It was like a, a sketch of him, where Donald Trump saying, um, "No matter what comes at you, never, ever give up. If they tell you it's impossible, that's just your cue to keep pushing forward." Mm-hmm. And it was this little picture of of when remember when Trump spoke at at that. Um, I don't remember what. Organization was where he went over and hugged the American flag. Yeah, and and where he was on one of these late late night shows and and somebody ruffled his hair or whatever. It was so great to watch that, but he still. Hasn't gone away well, yet. he's gotten
1: he's gotten more and more popular. Absolutely, uh, and it's not it's not Trump that's popular. It's really the Trump movement. Quite frankly, the, this whole notion, this whole notion of bringing government back to the people, having the government government be accountable to the American people, was so refreshing and so important.
4: But you know what? I I I do think it's that, but it is Trump. Yeah, I, we've talked about it. We miss him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's all over social media. We miss him. Because he was such a larger-than-life figure, yeah, and 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 he was out there for all the world to see all the time. Yeah. He was not only the president, he was the entertainer-in-chief.
1: The entertainer-in-chief and commander-in-chief. You know, uh, he he wants to uh, use this trial as a platform to demonstrate that he won the election. So that's what he wanted to do. What his, his lawyers that quit, what they wanted to do was to say, hey, look, uh, you can't impeach the president by process. He's n- now a private citizen. So they want have to the, have this argument that you could have with false, with, uh, you know, they've got to try and have a pillow fight, as opposed to do what Trump really wants to do, which is to demonstrate on a, on a national stage uh, that he won the election.
4: I still, I still firmly believe that Trump would never have, I think he's, like I said, 25, 50, 100 steps ahead of everybody. I just can't believe that he would leave the scene, Mm -hmm. letting the nation go into this demise with with Biden doing all the things he's doing without an ultimate plan. I just don't. And oh, by the way, before you kick me off of here, I'm sure you talked about um, the stock market earlier, but isn't it interesting that that the futures are all up today, Um, but it's going to be maybe a wild ride again on Wall Street today with all this game stuff.
1: Stuff is well, going. I think there's going to be, what I'm reading is that there's going to be a push on silver and apparently uh banks have shorted silver. They're trying to keep the price low. They don't have enough uh silver to cover their shorts and apparently they, they are shorting the stock. So looks like these uh, Robin Hood, Reddit uh, people want to drive up the price of silver. So this should be a very interesting day in the market. Oh
4: boy. And meanwhile, we are dealing with Onion ring hangover.
1: <laughs> Indeed we are. Linda, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much. Anything going on on the Paradise Coast?
4: You don't You don't have enough time.
1: All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I do want to remind you that if you're really anxious about this uh, virus shot, uh, you, you can go to, uh, I, I mentioned a website earlier in the show, but uh, remember... Their a supply does not meet the demand, uh, and uh, quite frankly, this is all fueled by fear. And uh, of course, uh, our our position is we're not taking it. We're not giving medical advice, but uh, uh, don't take it. Uh, it would be uh, that's our position. So we're not anxious about it at all. Quite frankly, I think that we're going to see herd immunity taking place right now, and this whole thing could could go away. So, in any event, I hope you'll uh, join us. Tomorrow, we should have great guests. and Tomorrow, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator, will be joining us, so moving closer towards uh, the Senate being in session. Boo Mortensen will be joining us. we have find out what's new with Boo. Seaton Motley is the founder and president of uh, Less Government. We'll visit with Seton as well as Jim McTagg. Jim is uh, uh, an author. He's a former Barron's Washington bureau chief, and he wrote a couple of books. Father Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree always appreciate your feedback on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at, bobharden at I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.